Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. I invite you to open your Bibles in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew 28. I thought it would be fitting for today, as my last sermon as your pastor, a passage that I hope it might be for you, both of encouragement and exhortation, a passage that serves as part of the bond that we share together, of the unity that we have, because we have both a common assurance, a common goal, a common end, but also a common mission. And I think that this reminds us of the reason and uh, the mission that the church was given by our Lord in which we share. But before we read Matthew 28, 16 to 20, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, we ask that you might be with us. Your word is truth, but is also life. Enlighten us, be with us, and help us as a church to obey you so that we might love you more and that your name might be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. We will focus mainly on verses 18 to 20, but we're going to read from verses 16 to 20 for a little bit of context. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is one of the most used passages every time pastors want to speak about missions, right? This is a favorite one. And there is a reason for it. These are the last recorded words of Jesus in his earthly ministry. So after he had taught during his life in ministry, after everything he said, after everything that he has done and accomplished, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, after appearing to them, as Scripture says, for a period of 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God, these are the last words. And so it is proper that we pay attention to them because they are important to us, and we know these last words as the Great Commission. But I would like to invite you once again to this passage and to ponder anew Jesus' last words. My desire is to invite you to picture this episode, but I hope that by going through it again, we can see a little bit more and understand it a little bit better. I want you to understand that the context, both literary and historical, of Jesus' command is of utmost importance if we want to understand this passage. We will see that this passage is much, much more than a simple command. Actually, that focusing on the command 
is focusing actually on the most important thing, although the command in itself is very important, and it is our mission as a church. So the context of Jesus' words is so important that I would risk saying that the context of the command is as important as the command itself, because it informs us about the meaning of what was Jesus saying and of the commission of the church. So I would like to invite you to ponder on four simple things in this passage. Number one, the foundation. Number two, the command proper. Number three, the promise. And number four, the goal. Let's start with verse 18 and with the foundation, Jesus' authority. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But before we say something about this verse, see how verse 19 starts. It says, Go, therefore. Do you note this word? Therefore. Jesus is saying this, on the basis of what I just told you, you go and make disciples. Let's compare this to a house. We have the building, which is the part that we see. So this is the command. We compare it to the building itself, the command that Jesus gives. But there is something very important that without it, you will not have a solid building upon which everything stands, which is the foundation. Verse 18 for Jesus is the foundation of the command that he is giving him. It is important because everything, all that command stands on what Jesus had just said on verse 18. It is his authority over heaven and earth that is the foundation of the very existence of the church and everything that the church does. So the church is not commanded to do something because we are able or because God expects us to fulfill something that Jesus was not able to, but it is exactly His power, everything that He accomplished, that is the foundation for everything we are and everything we do. You see, verse 18 is very important in the Gospel of Matthew as a whole. Because first I want you to keep in mind that the central theme of Matthew's Gospel is fulfillment. Read it from the beginning. What is one of the main tenets of this Gospel? Quoting Scripture over and over again. Why? Because Matthew, the evangelist, wants to either remind or convince the readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah. This happened so that Scripture might be fulfilled over and over and over again. Matthew desires the readers to be convinced or reminded that God's promises have been fulfilled in Jesus, that He is the King over all things, before whom all should bend their knees. It is actually how the Gospel starts and ends. Because if you remember, they came to worship the baby. And now we come to Matthew 28, and the disciples are bending their knees to worship Christ. 
You see, but at the same time, and this is important because we live in a sinful world and we struggle with our own sin, Matthew also wants us to note a contrast between the reality, this reality, fully true, Jesus is king and has authority over all things, and what people think and react to it, particularly in this situation, the disciples. You see, we take Jesus' resurrection and kingship for granted. We see it from hindsight. But remember that the disciples did not. It is easier for us because we see history from this perspective. It is in the past. We are reading God's revealed Word. We already came to believe. We already know. We know the outcome. But the disciples were living it without knowing this outcome. Matthew gives us a mixed picture. See verse 17 that we read. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, in Matthew's account, there is worship mixed with doubt. You see, for us, the resurrection is a time of celebration and joy. But in the first Easter, there was doubt mixed with worship. You see, if you read the Gospels, you will see that in some way or another, all deal with the issue of doubt, of lack of faith, both before the crucifixion and after the resurrection. You see, in fact, one of Matthew's theme is doubt, is this lack of faith. You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, doubt or lack of faith is always present People ask, who is this man? In what power does it perform these miracles? Particularly and very interestingly, Matthew does not hide the fact that even those who are closest to Jesus, even those who love Him the most, doubt and struggle with their lack of faith. All these weak men that are present in the Gospel... These disciples that some weeks before Jesus' ascension, when Jesus were in prison, were scattered. You could see chapter 26, verses 31 and 56. On verse 56 says, All the disciples left Him and fled. You see, for example, this expression, very typical of Matthew, you of little faith is repeated 630, 8.26, 14.31, 16.4. You see, this expression is always used to people whom we might expect would know Jesus the best. Remember when Jesus, after calming the storm, turns to His disciples and asks, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? 8.26. After Jesus healed the demon-possessed boy, it says that then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And He said to them, because of your little faith. 17, 19 to 20. You see, in the Gospel according to Matthew, even John the Baptist doubts. The one who had baptized Jesus we read in 11, 2, and 3, Now when Jesus heard in prison, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, He sent word by His disciples and said to Him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
Brothers and sisters, this is a man that when he saw Christ, when he saw Jesus, said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one whom God Himself have revealed that the one upon whom the Holy Spirit remains, that is the one. After all that, John the Baptist is doubting. And of course, we have Peter, the one who affirmed that Jesus was the Christ, but he was also of little faith when he did not trust Jesus when he walked on the sea. And Jesus turned to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the resurrection itself is presented by Matthew in a context of unbelief and doubt. You see, in chapter 28, we had already read, if you would read the whole book, that there is unbelief, the women going to the tomb, and as the angel appeared to them, they were afraid. You see, I want you to imagine and to picture this in your mind. I want you to imagine and realize that these people were doubtful and fearful. They did not understand. They are struggling with their faith. Even before the resurrected Lord, they don't know how to put the pieces together. And many times this happens with us. We are not perfect. Even with God's revealed Word, we don't understand all things. We need to go through so many things in our lives that we don't understand. And this is part of our walk. You see, this is an undeniable fact. Human beings are doubtful and fearful. In Matthew's Gospel, there is a lack of faith from everywhere, even from Jesus' closest ones. You see, Jesus had died in front of all people. He resurrected and appeared to some. He was going to ascend to heaven. And the eleven, the very ones that left him, were still doubting. And now picture this. Is it to these disciples that Jesus is going to give a command to make disciples of all nations? You see, the legitimate question one can raise in this context is, are these disciples, these very doubtful, fearful disciples who will start a movement which is to be extended to all nations in the world? Please make an effort to put yourself in their shoes and in this context, in this particular situation. Is that a joke, Jesus? Really, those guys are going to lead a movement to reach the nations. Are you kidding me? Humanly, all the conditions are created so that this movement would not last long. If it was an enterprise, I can guarantee you that no sane person would invest a single dime in this project with these people. A bunch of cowards and losers leading a movement to reach the nations. Ha! But now at the same time, after 2,000 years, imagine the present extent of Christianity. Answer these questions. Was and is the gospel being preached to all nations today? Were the disciples successful in preaching the gospel? Were they stopped by circumstances? Were those powerful Jewish people able to stop them, although they did try? 
Just read the book of Acts. Were they bold in proclaiming the gospel? You see, the answer to all these questions is a resounding yes. But the question and most important question is how and why? Why is that that against all human odds, they were so successful? How was that possible? How is it possible that Christ's name was and is being preached to all nations? You see, the answer is given by Jesus Himself. Because it was and it is the very power and authority of Jesus that accomplished those things. Do you understand that? That is why it is so important that we come to this passage. We don't look just to the command because there is a foundation and a reason why this was possible and it is possible. Because, as Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, the apostles were fully aware of this throughout their lives. As Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Listen carefully. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, just as the disciples, we need to heed and to hear this encouragement and comfort for us. This truth that Jesus has authority over all things should be the foundation and the motivation for the life and mission of the church. You see, in our weakness, we will fail completely. Honestly, what can a church like ours do for the city of Jackson or for Mississippi or for the United States? You see, we are the doubtful disciples. Many times circumstances makes us raise questions. And just as the disciples, we also need the power that comes from high. It's not ours. It's about Him, not us. You see, that is why some see this passage more than just a command. But actually, this passage is an encouragement and comfort for the church before it is a command. God's plan continues to be the same, but He will accomplish it with His power. Through His church, but His power. You see, Jesus was telling their disciples to trust in Him. Jesus was not simply saying, just go and do the job that needs to be done. No, Jesus was saying, I did it all. Now go, because the world is mine. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, in the midst of all our skepticism, of our doubt, Jesus continues to tell us, go. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember John 12, 31, when Jesus said, Now the prince of this world will be expelled. Do you believe this in the midst of circumstances? Do you believe that Jesus is a sovereign king of all things, even if it is not yet evident 
in our circumstances. You see, it is in this context of Jesus' kingship that the Lord commands His disciples. So number two, see verse 19 in the beginning of chapter 20, when Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, this command summarizes in a perfect way what Jesus expects from His church. You see, this command encapsulates the whole mission of the church. You see, this is the last command that Jesus gives to His disciples. Again, after all He had done, after all He had taught, He chose these very words to give to His disciples before He ascended to heaven. But I want you to note again that this command flows from Jesus' own identity. Before it is the mission of the church, what we call the Great Commission is Jesus' own mission. Jesus accomplished all through His life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has conquered death, has earned the right to be the King over all things. And on the basis of what we said before, it is important to know and put this in your minds and in your hearts. God does not send out His church to conquer. He sends out His church in the name of the One who has already conquered. Can you understand this comfort, this encouragement, that we are sent with certainty that this will be true? Look at the extent of Christianity today and be amazed because it had nothing to do with those 11 coward men to which Jesus gave this command. Do you understand that? You see, in these words we have one basic command. Make disciples. It is fulfilled in a twofold way baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching all things that I have commanded you. One command fulfilled in two ways. Now think this twofold application is the twofold mission of the church today. And this truth is very important because I would say that sometimes preachers use this passage and limit Jesus' command only to to bring people to faith, right? Evangelism and missions is mainly what people use this text for. But on the other hand, note this because it is true. We are to preach the gospel to unbelievers. That's what the church is supposed to do. We have the image and the sign of the incorporation in the covenant community, which is baptism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bring people in. Witness of the gospel. Preach the gospel. And as people repent and believe, they are baptized. So reach the ones who are not yet saved. But on the other hand, the command does not stop here. God's work and purpose, the mission of the church, are not confined to bring people in. God's purpose in the church mission is also that those who come to repentance and faith 
might grow and mature in the likeness of Christ. And many times we fail in this mission. Many times we're more demanding to those who have just been converted in what we expect of them in their level of sanctification than what we are to those who are already believers for 20 and 30 years and many times still babies in the faith. You see, Jesus came to die for us so that we might be free fully from sin. So it does not start when we are converted. It does start there, but it does not end there. It ends with our glorification when we are perfectly in the image of Christ. That is the end. Note that conversion for Jesus, conversion and sanctification cannot be separated. Jesus gives only one command. Make disciples. Baptism and teaching are two ways and complementary ways that this command is fulfilled. So brothers and sisters, let us not separate them nor prioritize them. It is not possible to obey Jesus' command by obeying only one of them or prioritizing one of them. And that's our tendency. Brothers and sisters, allow me one final exhortation as your pastor. Allow me to address one area which I believe is a great temptation for this church at this point. You see, the Lord has blessed us greatly. But unfortunately, we are prone and we are prone to be tempted to use God's blessings in a selfish way. So allow me this exhortation. On the one hand, the Lord has blessed our church with many children. Isn't it true? Aren't they a joy for us? They are. One great blessing. They are a great source of joy for us. At the same time, the Lord has blessed us with these facilities. And I want you to mark this. After 20 years since the establishment of this church, we have been given these facilities which are given to us solely and solely by the grace of God. Note this, despite our efforts to have our own building, all the money that we have raised, the Lord was pleased to give us these facilities. You know why? So that we know that they were given to us solely by grace and with a purpose. Now, this is where I believe the temptation lies, that we might feel too comfortable in these facilities and eventually narrow our duty to make disciples to the context of our families. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our temptation will be this, that we narrow the mission of the church, that we feel too comfortable in these facilities, and we end up using it only for, in a selfish way for us and for our families. But remember that the mission of the church remains the same. Make disciples of all nations. And as they come and they are baptized, we grow together in the faith. If we fail one of these areas, we are failing the mission of the church. Number three, the promise. See the second part of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. I want you to note this. Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations is sandwiched, as you can see in terms of what Jesus says, on one hand of Jesus' affirmation of his own authority, but also followed by Jesus' promise to be present with them. Because if Jesus has the power but is not with them, what would his power avail for? But you see, that is very interesting that Jesus sandwiches his command between these two things. His authority on one hand, it is actually the foundation of that command, and also the promise of his presence among them. You see, this is purposefully so that we stay focused on what is most important, which is Jesus alone. So it is important to note that the gospel according to Matthew does not end with a command, as many think. The gospel according to Matthew ends with a promise when Jesus promises to be with them till the end of the age. You see, Jesus is comforting them. Remember, they are still doubtful. They still don't know what's going to happen. They still need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they then realize and have a clear view of what happened. So Jesus is comforting them. Behold, I am with you always till the end of age. You see, Jesus encourages and comforts them. The Holy Spirit will be Jesus' own presence with them. They are not only sent in Jesus' power. They are not only sent by the one who has power. They are sent in His power and with His power. That's our comfort. That's our security. That's why we can fulfill this mission. Because we're not dependent upon us. They can trust because He will be with them. You see, this is a covenant promise which is present all throughout Scripture. Remember that when Adam and Eve saved, uh, sinned, their consequence was what? Was that they were expelled from the presence of God. Since then, everything we need is reconciliation with God, is to be back in His presence again, because only in His presence there is life. So all throughout Scripture, Jesus comes and promised to His people, I will be with you. And Jesus is the perfect embodiment because He is Emmanuel, God with us. So let me ask you this. In light of this, were the disciples to be optimistic about the enterprise that Jesus was giving them? Why? When you look around you, when you see Christianity in the U.S. being put at stake, when you see the number of members in Christian churches diminishing, when we wonder about the future of the church in this nature, in this nation, how do you react when it seems that the war is being lost? You see, we are reminded of Jesus' promise. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell 
shall not prevail against it. Period. This is not a conditional. This is an affirmation, a certainty. This truth, I must say, has been a great motivation for me. If I ask you, is it worthwhile to invest in Portugal, in Europe? You see, humanly speaking, all is lost. Spiritually speaking, Portugal in Europe as a whole, in human eyes, is a desolation. It seems like a place laid down to waste, impossible to rebuild. But why were the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations? Because they were commanded? Yes. But mainly because the command is founded in Jesus' own authority and power. They went because the Holy Spirit was sent to them. And in His power, the once coward disciples became bold. Why is our family planning to go back to Portugal? Because Jesus has all the authority and we are sent in His power. Our lives will not be in vain, independently of visible results. I cannot guarantee, I have no guarantee from, from God that humanly speaking, I will be successful. Pray for us. I have no guarantee. The guarantee that I have is that the Word of God being preached will not come back vain. Period. It is Jesus' authority. It is Jesus' power. This is His Jesus' world. And Jesus will bring His people to His fold. Period. Why are we to go and preach the gospel in this neighborhood? Because we are sent with His authority. We can be mocked, we can be rejected. It can be awkward for us to go out. But it's Jesus' world, and He will bring His own to His people where they belong. So let us end with a goal, which is God's glory. I want you to note the main issue that is at stake in this passage. Jesus wants to lead and commission His disciples. But note who is the main character of this narrative, of this story, of the world. Very interestingly, the disciples say no word in this episode. They go where Jesus told them to go. They stand before Jesus, and even in the midst of doubt, they bow before Him. Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. Jesus is the one who speaks. This passage is about Jesus. Above all things, this passage is the affirmation and exaltation of Jesus as King. You see, what is important and primarily important in this passage is that Jesus is the King. You see, the commission makes sense and missions are possible because Jesus is Lord. King Jesus is on the throne. You see, Matthew's gospel starts with the announcement of the birth of Jesus, of the birth of the King, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And the gospel ends with Jesus being worshipped 
as king. You see, naturally, we tend to focus too much on ourselves, but we should not make this passage about us. We do have a commission, but this commission is primarily about Jesus. You see, Jesus wants us to be obedient and to fulfill this commission, but He wants us to obey while we look to Him. Our eyes are to be set on Him, not primarily on the commission. Remember the main commandment, love God. You see, the focus is on God, not on something we do. We obey and we want to obey because we love Him. You see, ultimately, missions exist not because of people, but for the glory of God. In the famous words of John Piper, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship will abide forever. Brothers and sisters, the goal of the church is worship, the glory of God. The mission of the church, which has worship as its goal, is to make disciples of all nations. We bring glory to God by witnessing of the gospel and grow in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. The Great Commission is ultimately about Jesus, not us. Jesus is the foundation, the sustainer, and the ultimate goal of the Great Commission. Jesus is the foundation, the sustainer, and the ultimate goal of the church life. The Great Commission is not an end in itself. Jesus is. We are sent because King Jesus is on the throne. We go because we have His power by the Holy Spirit at work in us, because He is in us. We proclaim Him because we set our eyes on Him. He is our prize. He is the one we boast on. He is the one we proclaim. He is the one we love. Jesus is our goal. Brothers and sisters, in order to obey the Lord Jesus, we must go and make disciples. You see, for some, it means to witness where we are. For others, it means they need to be ready to go and leave their loved ones. And it means that the church must willingly and joyfully be ready to send them wherever they are needed. Brothers and sisters, we might for some time be physically separated. But we will always be united. We have one same God, one same purpose, one same mission, one common hope, and one common end. We might be separated for some time, but in Christ we are one. And once He comes, all oh, that glorious day, we will have eternity to celebrate. So we pray, our Heavenly Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To him be the glory.